0: Good morning, Crosspoint. Am I on? I think. Yeah, there I am. It is good to see you all this morning. It is, uh, it's is—it's just such a joy to be here. Um, we're going to start the morning with prayer. First of all, we're going to be praying for another fellowship here in town, Holland Terrace Baptist Church, whose pastor is Chet Haney and his wife, Terry. We'll be praying for them. We're also going to be praying for Ben and Christy while they're traveling, while they're on vacation this week. Um, we're going to be praying for them as they embark on this new chapter in their life. There's a lot of unknowns in their life, but they are absolutely trusting God in this, as we are. We're going to be praying also for the Crosspoint body, because this is a new chapter for us as well. So we're going to be praying for our body this morning, for God to continue to lead us. We're also going to be praying for another, for an unreached people group, the Kim Mun people group in Vietnam. There's about 559,000 worldwide, about 260,000 in Vietnam itself. It's an unreached people group. There's less than 1% of that people group that are believers, and there's no evangelical movement in their part of the world right now, so we need to be praying for that. Then we're going to be praying this morning... Um, just for this time together as we're here, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth of God's word and remembering that the head of this church is Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your presence here. And Father, you are here because of who you are and the love that you have for us. Not because we are worthy of that, not because we deserve that, but it's all out of your love. Father, I pray this morning for Highland Terrace Baptist Church that as the pastor Chet, Chet Haney stands before his people, that he will, have, he will have had a week of preparation, spending time with you, climbing the mountain to glean the truth of your word that he can stand and deliver this morning to the people at Highland Terrace. Father, I pray for Chet and Terry's marriage. I pray that you will continue to strengthen them, draw them closer to one another and closer to you. Father, I thank you for the work that we see on their building that two years later is now being completed. Father, I pray that as they prepare to move into that building, that will be a huge footprint in Hunt County for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning for Ben and Christy while they're away this week on a a pre-planned vacation that they would find rest, they would find peace, they would find comfort in you even though they may not know the future, they know that you do. Father, I pray exactly the same thing for the body here at Cross Point Fellowship. That as we start this new chapter in our lives, that you will bring the right person to this place. We know, Father, that you already know who that person is. Father, I pray for the elders that you will give us wisdom and insight to follow you in all that we do in searching for a new senior teaching pastor. One that will protect the established DNA of who we are here at Cross Point, that will come in and be able to work well with the established elders and to love this people as he shepherds. Father, we trust you in this, and we know that you will be glorified. Our, our desire is for you to be glorified in this. Father I also lift up the Kim Mun people in Vietnam. I pray first of all, Father, that you would put an evangelistic outreach, even if it's a single person in their their community, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, that they may hear the truth of the gospel and that at least one person in that people group will become a believer and then it'll spread like wildfire through that community group. Father, we love you. We know that you... Have a heart for the nations. Help us have a heart for the nations. That we would continue to reach out and pray. If not, go. But I also pray this morning as we hear from your word. The Holy Spirit teaching us the truth of your word. To make a lasting impression of who we are and what we're called to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. All right, as we continue our worship this morning, let me invite you to turn to Romans 8. Okay, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 39. And if you're here this morning and you didn't bring your Bible with you, just look in the underneath the seat in front of you or maybe one to the side. There are hardback um, ESV Bibles, so you can use that this morning. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one as a gift from us. Put your name in it and keep it. Okay, we'd love for you to have that. Now, as you're turning, I want to spend just a few minutes to set the context of this passage because we're dropping into this passage without a lot of precursor. You know. um, but I think this is a—God brought this passage to mind, and I it think it's extremely pertinent to our, our time right now. <clears throat> Paul spent the first half of this letter, the first seven chapters, And this is a letter, let me back up. This is a letter to a church in Rome that he never visited. But this church was very likely started by a group of people that attended or that were in Jerusalem and heard the disciples, the apostles, preach on the day of Pentecost. They went back to Rome, they established this church. But in this church in Rome... Paul is writing to them and he's talking about some very, some vital issues. First of all, he discounts that birthright gives no access to a right relationship with God. For the Jews, their birthright didn't count, not one iota. He also spends time talking about keeping the law does not give access to God in a right relationship. And that's for the Gentiles. Only through Jesus Christ do we have any access to God and to his kingdom. Even though we struggle from day to day, sometimes minute by minute, sometimes second by second, we've all been there. Okay. I, I certainly have. Even though we struggle like that, we align ourselves with Paul in, in much of this letter. But I think, particularly, at least on my part, in verse 24 of chapter 7, when Paul says of himself, He is a miserable wretch. That was his conclusion, okay, of everything that he had talked about all the way up to that point. He basically says, I have no access. Then in verse 25, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? And in the same moment, he says, thank God it is Jesus Christ who does. So we can, we can relate ourselves to Paul as, yeah, a miserable wretch, but then at the same time say, it's because of Jesus Christ that we're rescued from this body of death. Okay. So that's, that's where we've been, or that's what's happened right before Romans chapter 8. But we're going to start in verse 31 for this morning. So Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? And these things is everything he's talked about before. All the previous seven and a half chapters. Good. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also how will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this morning we're going to examine the truth that the love of God is absolute. It is undeniable. It is perfect. It is righteous. And it provides absolute perfect protection against an enemy who wants to bring us into ruination and separate us from God. Now this morning we're going to be asking the first question, who can separate us from the love of God? Consider then the very next verse in Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now. In, in reading and studying, I came across uh, a lesson by John Piper on this very section of, of Romans. And he says that he put together a formula to answer this. So I'm going to use that this morning. I'm pretty sure he'd give me permission. so I didn't ask him, but I'm going to do it anyway. But the first one is this. The first step in this formula is this. There is a just judge. Let that sink in for a minute. There is absolutely a just judge. It's pretty clear. God is that just judge of all the universe. He is the one who created all things and is the just judge of all creation. And then all creation falls on its face before this just judge. We are. As part of that creation, fall on our face before this just judge. In Psalm seven, verses eleven through thirteen, and I may I may not. I mean, I'll say this now. I may I'm going to be referring to a number of verses, but our our incredible media team is going to have them up here. So if you don't get it turned to before, that's okay. So it'll be up here on the wall. I think is it good? Okay. I don't have a rearview mirror, so I really can't see. Good job. They do an incredible job. I mean, they really do. I really appreciate that. So Psalm 7, verses 11 through 13 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. That's pretty clear. There's not a lot of questioning what that says. So that's the first element. God is a just judge. The second element of this formula is that there are guilty sinners. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'll raise mine. (laughs) Okay? We all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. All. Underline it. Put it in bold italics, however you want to do that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our guilt is sure. Our guilt is absolute. We cannot hide from a just judge. We cannot hide from the omniscience of a perfectly holy God. Our guilt is undeniable. It's absolute. Because God is a holy God just these first two elements does not bode well for us does it? (laughs) not in and of itself not in who we are because God is a holy God is a righteous creator and a just judge he cannot simply allow sins to go unpunished he can't allow the guilty sinners just walking on the streets of his creation without some reckoning and that reckoning was provided by the one chosen from eternity past. And that reckoning has his name, that is our reckoning, is Jesus Christ. He's the one who provides that reckoning, and the plan was established before God ever spoke creation into existence. So now we know that there's a just judge. We know the second element is that we're guilty sinners. Now we need the third element. And the third element of that is the death of Jesus Christ. The third element of this formula, it's the sacrifice that Jesus chose to make in order to, first of all, glorify the Father. Secondly, to provide a way for us to have a right right relationship with, with God through Jesus. That reconciliation is the word I was struggling for. That reconciliation is what Jesus provides for us. Okay. And it is absolute. I thought about singing this little melody, but I'm just going to speak it because my throat's a little scratchy this morning. You can sing it if you want to. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Okay. I, I, just as I spoke, that chills just went over me. I didn't expect that, but it did. Because it is an absolute truth. That's what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus took our sin on himself, he bore the guilt, the shame, and the penalty of our sins on the cross. He wore our guilt on the cross. And because of that, we now wear his borrowed righteousness that he gives to us. We wear that clearly as a cloak that he himself placed on us. The result, following Romans 7, 24 and 25, for Paul said he was a miserable wretch, we relate to that. He then says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thank God it is Jesus Christ who does. And there really shouldn't be a chapter break here because the very next word is therefore. In chapter 8, verse 1. So it's just, it's, it should be a smooth transition to this conclusion in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is an absolute promise. That's not just a suggestion. It is an absolute truth that we can hang on to. There is no condemnation because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you. So in this, we see the fourth element of this formula. We have a just judge plus a guilty sinner plus the death of Jesus equals no condemnation. Now, as we continue through Romans 8, 34, we're reminded that Jesus was not the only one who was crucified. It was Jesus who was raised from the dead. More than that, he was raised. We also see that incredible truth in an earlier passage in Romans, where we are told how that was accomplished. In Romans 8, 11, it says if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you the very fact that jesus was raised from the dead indicated that god was absolutely satisfied with the sacrifice that jesus made there was nothing else necessary what anything else we could do god said it's done Jesus did this. He was dead. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he continues since that time that Jesus died, was buried and resurrected, to provide for us that element that we need, no condemnation. It is in Jesus that there is no condemnation. And Christ in our Lord will continue to do that until we are joined with him in that new heaven and that new earth. So it goes from the time he died when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior and that no condemnation element that we live in continues into eternity future. It'll never stop. Now, because of all of that, we're ready for this next astounding truth. In Romans 8:35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now this question is answered and it comes from the previous statements made in verses 31 through 34. Because God is for us, he did not spare his only son. He sent his son to die for us a number of years ago there was and we've recently prayed for the Lawson family for Steve Lawson that passed away for his dad Lowell Lawson Lowell was one of the deacons at Ridgecrest when I was growing into that ministry a number of years ago I won't tell you how many years ago but it was a long time But Lowell got up and he was going to do special music one Sunday morning. Pastor Hamilton was sitting on this side like he always did. And Lowell got up at the pulpit and he turned and he said, Pastor Hamilton, do you believe I love you? And Pastor Hamilton was kind of shocked. He's like, well, yeah, I I believe you love you. And he said, do you believe I love you enough that if you were drowning in that pond back behind your house that I would jump in the pond and save you at the risk of my own life? And Pastor Hamilton sat there for... Just a few seconds, he said, yeah, I believe you would. And Lord said, but Pastor Hamilton, I don't love you enough to throw my son in. Man, that gave me just a little glimpse of the sacrifice that the Father made when he threw his son in to save us. Because of his obedience to the Father and because of his and the Father's love for us, Jesus died on the cross in order to glorify the Father and to provide that forgiveness that we need to have a reconciled relationship with the Father. Romans 5 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we didn't earn that. In the midst of our sin, Christ chose to do that. Verse 35 has several other elements to consider this morning. First, it begins with who shall separate us from the love of God. And again, because of all that's been established in the writings of Paul, up to this point, no one, not a single person, no one can separate us from the love of God. And that no one includes the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're not going to separate us from the love. The gift that he gives us is absolutely perfect, undeniable, not to be undone. Then he goes on to very real personal life experiences to examine if then there is anything that can separate us from the love of God. He starts off with, shall tribulation... We've literally been given the promise by Jesus in his own words that we will go through tribulation. And we will go through this tribulation because of the stand that we choose to make to align with Jesus. And our refusal to recant that. There will be tribulation for that. Jesus promised. We're told that tribulation will not separate us from his love. In John 16, Jesus himself said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus himself spoke of the tribulation to come, not only in our personal lives today, but in the great tribulation that will happen, that will take place in the world in the end times prior to his return for us his chosen his elect his children will go through this tribulation he assures us that the tribulation we will go through is not going to separate us from his love in fact what he promises that we are bound to him in the peace that he does provide in the midst of that tribulation Now, it's important to note here, Jesus was speaking of a tribulation that comes from standing with him. It's not just talking about the consequences that we have from our own personal sins because we all know what those are. We have those. Now, God forgives those. He may remove the consequences, but he does forgive. Now, here Jesus is talking about, or God is talking through Paul about the tribulation that we will go through because of our absolute stand lining with, aligning with Jesus Christ. So, the next point, shall persecution separate us from the love of Jesus? We've also been given the promise by Jesus that we will be persecuted for His name's sake. Does that sound like something you'd be looking forward to? <laughs> As humans, we don't. Okay, But in... In Christ, we know that there will be persecution, because of what Jesus said in Matthew 5:11. "Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account." John 15:20 also says, "Remember the word that I said to you: A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you." If they kept my word, they will also keep yours, which means they're going to remember the word and that persecution will come as a result of that. So what does that look like in real life, real time? Does it mean that when you're being persecuted, you lovingly smile at the person and in your best syrupy, sweet voice say, God bless you. Uh, That's not what he's talking about. I'm thinking not. Recall Stephen's situation in Acts when he was being stoned for his continued commitment to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts 7, verses 58 through 60. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them when he had said this he fell asleep did Stephen bless those who were stoning him yes he did he did how did he do that first of all by speaking truth to them through testimony of who Jesus is secondly by holding fast to the truth of the word of God even in the most difficult of circumstances third He was blessing people as God provided through Stephen and it's seen in the life of a young man named Saul who had the garments laid at his feet and he witnessed this horrible, horrific act of murder. A man who would be drawn to Jesus by the Father and had already been predestined to be the apostles to the Gentiles. So we see that blessing that Stephen offered, even though God took him out of, this earth, in this, out of this world into his kingdom. Persecution will not separate us from the love of Christ. The answer to all the other elements presented in this passage are just the same. Famine will not separate us from the love of Christ. Nakedness will not separate us from the love of Christ danger will not separate us from the love of Christ and the sword will not separate us from the love of Christ in fact all of these things draw us closer to Christ and the sword which is a picture of death will very simply hurry us toward that blessing that God has within eternity with him in heaven In verse 36, Paul quotes from Psalm 44, 22, where it says, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is a verse from God specifically prophesying through the psalmist of overcoming persecution and the coming of persecution of those who profess belief in being a bondservant to the one true king. That is Jesus. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, this is, not, this is not a pleasant afternoon read. I promise you. It's tough. The first persecution of the church began in 67 AD under Nero. Under his madness, he ordered all of Rome to be burned. And then trying to clear himself of the accusations, he blamed the Christians. And so Christians were gathered up and they went through atrocities ordered by Nero and Rome. Many times they were, Christians were sewn up in fresh animal skins, tightly sewn up, so that as the skins dried, it slowly crushed and suffocated them. And in the process, they'd throw them out in the arena and let dogs tear them up. Okay, that doesn't sound pleasant or Nero would have Christians dressed in shirts that were that were just full of heavy wax would impale them on stakes in his garden and they would light them for garden torches for his parties many died in this manner during the first persecution of the church in reading further in fox's book of martyrs this was only the first of 10 periods of persecution that he talked about. The second persecution came only a few years later at the hands of an even more cruel Domitian. Under his rule, Christians were again persecuted in horrible ways. Many were crucified. Many were tossed into the arena because the Romans decided that crucifixion was too cruel a death. And so they'd throw them in the arena with hungry lions, believing that that was a more humane way for people to die. The remainder remainder of the persecutions of the church just continued to get worse. And literally in those 10 persecutions, tens of thousands of Christians were tortured and murdered in much the same way. That took place in the first 300 years of the church. Romans 8 says all of these things going on, will will these things separate us from the love of God? Verse 37 says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. God points out that through the tribulation of persecution, we are already more than conquerors because we don't have to do the battle. The battle's already been won by Jesus. He is already conquered because see if, If I conquered, I might seek to be glorified in that, but I can't. Jesus conquered, He's glorified in that, and we call Him our Lord and Savior. Paul summarizes the truth in the last two verses of this passage. In Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. He says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, these last two verses of this passage points out that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Ever. Ever. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to begin today to ask the questions of your friend, maybe that you came with, or an elder here at Cross Point, or a deacon or a life group shepherd, someone in front of you, someone to your left or your right, or someone behind you. Start asking those questions of what salvation is through Jesus Christ, our Lord that's the only way we can have that assurance of no condemnation we only we can only have the assurance of never being separated from the love of god through the sacrifice that jesus made on the cross join me in prayer fathers we come to you this morning we thank you for the truth of your word that you provided for us we thank you for the absolute truth that no one and nothing can separate us from your love. Father, I pray that that truth will ring in our ears this week, not just this morning, but through the week, that our, the rest of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all the way through the rest of the week, we have that absolute assurance That if Jesus is our Lord, then no one and nothing can separate us from that love. Father, I thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.